Marketing Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Barker. Today, I have with me Spike Jones, the General Manager for the Strategic Services Team at Coros. He has over 20 years of experience in digital marketing and social media marketing. He's helped big companies create integrated digital and word-of-mouth marketing campaigns. In today's episode, I want to discuss with him why brands need to build online communities and the mistakes they can avoid in the process. However, before we find out more about building online communities, I wanted to take a moment to remind our listeners that my team can help your brand build visibility online. We offer services like influencer marketing, online PR, content marketing, and more. You can reach out to us for help. For more details, check out my website, shanebarker.com. That's S-H-A-N-E-B-A-R-K-E-R.com. And now that we got that covered, let's get back to the episode. Guys, hey, today we're super excited. We got Spike Jones on the podcast. Spike, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I know, you know, it, it, you're disappointed it's not the director, Spike Jones, but I will do my best to uh, maybe, you know, f- fill in. Yeah, that's the thing is I, I honestly think, I don't, I think I'd rather have you. I got to be honest. I was looking at your background and books you've written and, and, and what you've done historically. I think you're a better fit for my audience. I, I got to be honest with you. I'll reach out to the other Spike, but honestly, if he said yes, I, I don't even know if I'd interview him. I mean, it wouldn't even be worth, worth our time. And we've got you today. So why would we want to go for you know, a second place? Um, so why don't you give us a little background? Like, where did you grow up? Uh, that'd be Dallas, Texas. Good old Dallas. Uh, inner city, uh, mostly, but, but uh, Dallas is where I heed from. Gotcha. And right. And then how big was your family in Dallas? So I actually was adopted when I was a wee, a wee baby, a wee child. Uh, so it was just my sister and I, who she was also adopted. They bought her in San Antonio. They bought me in Dallas. So uh, and then just mom and dad. They bought me. I love that. I love, <laughs> well, it, was, it seemed to be a pretty good investment. I mean, if they bought you, I mean, last time I checked, you're not doing too bad, my friend. It was a crapshoot for them at the time, I'm sure. I know, but they but they obviously very intelligent parents. So they, they were like, no, no, not that one, not that one. We'll take Spike. We'll call him Spike. We'll take that one right there. That's awesome. I love that. I love the way that you look at that as well. You're like, yeah, I've picked up a few things and you know, paid the price and things are good now. So so tell us any interesting facts growing up, anything fun with the family? You know, I was I was raised uh, by basically Ward and June Cleaver, like two of the nicest people you have you could ever. And my mom, actually, my my adoptive mother, who is my mom, she actually yeah. grew up in an orphanage herself. She was adopted when she was 18 years old. So just really cool, some really cool people. But I guess, I don't know, one of the highlights of uh, my childhood is I got to spend a lot of my summers on my grandparents' ranch out in East Texas punching cattle. So got to do the true cowboy thing, which, man, that is you know, gained a lot of respect for ranchers because that is some hard, hard work. But there was also lots of my grandfather was a, a great man and he made sure that we had fun while we were there. So lots of great memories of building hay forts and, you know, going cane pole fishing in the, and then catching catfish in the little pond there. And so just a really good, some good memories around that. And actually when I was in the talented and gifted program in fourth, fifth and sixth grade, you had to write a 25 page book quotes. So, um, so, so I write about that and those good memories. You were in the gate program, huh? I, I was in the gate program. I haven't heard gifted and talented education. It's been a little while since I've heard that acronym. Interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know how I got in. Somehow they're like, hey, we're going to bring you in gate. And I was like, my mom's like, wow, gifted and talented. I was like, I know. I don't know. They did. They must not have seen my profile, but somehow I got picked. I was like, this is nah. super exciting. That's funny. That's awesome. I love that. It's, it's really awesome that your mom was like, you know, in the situation where she was like, hey, I'm going to kind of give back to the community as well. And I'm going to do and adopt to two amazing kids. So that's cool. Um, and, you know, it's another thing I was I was it's I, I think about like where I like where I was raised. I remember think my dad. 
um, you know, was always pushing us, hey, go to college, go to college. And I think about, you know, you, you go and you're working on the farm with the, the grandparents and the, you realize the life that it is and how hard it is. You know, I know for me, my dad was like, hey, we're going to go put in the, uh, the sprinkler system in the backyard. And I was like, oh, it's not too bad. You know, not a problem. Grab a shovel. And, um, and these little delicate, fragile hands are, you know, I haven't seen too much hard work, you know, at, at that age by any means. And I'm, we're digging away and this is nothing but hard pan. And I remember looking at my dad and my hands were a little bloody, not overly bloody, but bloody enough to where I was looking at my dad. And he goes, yeah, he goes, do you, do you want to go to college? Like, I want to go to, I want to go to college right now. Like, is there any way that I can just transfer at age seven and go right now? Because I, I understand what you're saying. And, and I, I just wanted to like to do that. And so I think that was a pivotal point for me when I realized, you know, Probably for you, not that ranching isn't something you'd maybe want to do, but you look at it and you go, there's got to be an easier way, you know, when you understand the lifestyle, but it's, you definitely have a new appreciation from for sure. Yeah. And you absolutely nailed it. At the end of each summer, my grandfather, actually my grandmother, who would do the books, she would write us a ledger, one of those big ledger checks to pay us for the summertime. And it was, you know, I was 11 or 12 at the time. So it was like 150 bucks for three months of hard labor, probably broke some child labor laws, but anyway, but then my grandfather handed it to me and go, boy, this is why you need to go to college. Yeah, no, that's it. I mean, that's, that's, and that's, that's the thing is like the 150 bucks. You're like, this is awesome. But if I go to college, I can make more. Okay. I get it. I get it. No, I can get it. Uh, I think it makes total sense. And then are you, do you still live in, no, you live in Austin, right? Where do you live now? Yeah, I lived in Austin. So I graduated and I moved, I lived in Colorado for a while, then Missouri, then Atlanta, and then most recently South Carolina. And my wife, who's from New York, came here for an M&A deal. She's a, she's a CFO of a company, never been to Austin in her life. And she came back home after two nights and said, I want to, I want to live in Austin. And I, I, you know, I told her, I was like, I promised myself if I ever move back to Texas, there's only one city I'm going to live in. And yeah. so that, that was 10 years ago. Uh, and we've been in Austin ever since. That's awesome. Yeah. I, you know, I'll tell you, I've only been to Austin once and this was probably last year, that's whole COVID 2020. It feels like nine years together, but it was last year and I loved Austin and I wasn't there for like South by Southwest. So it wasn't that crazy, but just a great city, just with the culture and the food and just everything about it. Like I was only there for like three days. Um, and actually was, I wasn't even there for an event or anything. Like I just made an excuse. I think I said I had meetings out there for me just to go out and check out Austin. What a great city. I mean, an yeah. absolutely amazing city. Absolutely. We, we love it. We say the only thing wrong with Austin is that it's surrounded by Texas. That's our only fault. Is that ah, yes. I, I didn't realize that it's surrounded by Texas. Who knew? Yeah. This, who knew? You know, that's, that's kind of funny. So where did you go to college at? I went to good old Baylor University, which is actually halfway between here and Dallas. Um, back then, it, it was before the Chip and Joanna Gaines Magnolia Farms time. Mm. You know, but it, mm. Before it was a, a, a tourist destination. Back then, uh, I believe Waco had the highest murder per capita rate in the nation. I was there when the Branch Davidian thing went down, if anyone remembers that, that ages us a yeah. little. Uh, yeah. it was, and so we would pack up every Thursday or Friday and we'd drive to UT here in Austin or go to Dallas and, and hang out yeah. with them the weekend. So it, interesting time, but a, good, but a good school. So Baylor, is it in Waco? It is in Waco. We ain't coming out. I don't out know yet. if I knew that. So, you know, what's weird is I saw the, I don't know if it was an HBO special or Hulu, something about the dividing the group and watching that actual whole thing. Because obviously we saw it from the media. I mean, I'm in California, so we saw, you know, media public, you know, what happened and stuff like that. But it was interesting to see um, the inside and kind of how they did things and stuff like that. It was kind of because I remember back in the day, like when it happened, 
like what just happened? Like, I mean, you know, the end of it, obviously, if anybody hasn't seen, I probably shouldn't say the end, but it's a little bit of a, it kind of throws you back. Like, oh, wait, what just like, how is this? Like, who was at fault here? What do we have going on? What were they doing wrong? And it was an interesting time because once again, I didn't have a lot of background of that story other than I'd heard what happened, you know, with it being a cult or whatever they wanted to call it. So it's interesting, interesting backstory there. Yeah, for sure. It was, uh, we, we would go out there whenever they were holed up in the, in the camp, encampment. And the psychological warfare was fascinating. The ATF would set up these huge speakers and play like a baby crying for hours or like reveille or like a cow mooing. It was wild, really wild. It, it is crazy because when I started to look at that, I thought, man, this is just like what, like you might not agree with what they're doing and not to get in the, the politics of it, but it's like, why the psychological warfare? Like, what do, what do you, like, what, what's the benefit of that? Like, what are we trying to do here? Like, are we trying to make them go crazy? It just, it, once again, not to get into that, but it just, I remember watching the movie and it just, it was so nice to, not nice, but it was interesting to see the other side of it and kind of how they saw it and what was happening to them. Cause we don't, I didn't, we didn't see that part. All we heard was there was here in California anyways, this is what's happening. And they did this and they, you know, blew themselves up or do whatever. And it's like, whoa, there's, there's a whole nother part of the story. There's a lot deeper piece of this, you know, that, that we don't get to see. We just see the, the end and, and what people, you know, are making assumptions of what happened. So, um, and, and not to belabor it, but like the, the other thing too, is like, well, I've met some of them before it happened. Like in, when you're around in town, like they'd be handing out pamphlets and they're really pleasant, nice people. Yeah. That's the thing is they didn't seem, it's like, you might not agree with what they're doing, but they weren't like, you know, I don't know. They, they didn't seem like bad people, I guess is what it was. It was just like definitely a bad situation. So anyways, I guess, yeah. Anyways, if you guys are listening and you, and you haven't seen that movie, go check it out. It's definitely interesting. Um, so what was your first job out of college? What did you do right when you, when you graduated? Well, I was a journalist. I double majored in journalism and environmental studies. And so my first, I mean, my, my first job, like job, job, job was uh, yeah. I actually had a friend who, who lived in Vail and I went and moved out there for just a bit because it's one of those like once in a lifetime, never gonna be able to do this again. Work, work for the mountain, got a ski pass. But my first like real job, I worked for an environmental remediation company in Atlanta that their main goal was to remove lead-based paint and asbestos from military institutions. And I was hired to answer government RFPs. So, you know, super interesting work. Man. Very tedious work. Yeah. I to this day can't answer RFPs. Those things are, man, I look at that and for me, I'm, I'm detail oriented, but when it comes to like, like my wife, be the first one to say that if, if, if I'm like, if like tons of paperwork and tons of stuff, I just, it's so hard. Like I look at RFPs and I just, I'm like, I'm going to go lay down. I, I just, you know, it's like, you need to have, you need to have somebody that really is as good at that kind of stuff. It, it's just just the, the attention to detail is I'm, I'm a, I'm a fast, I'm always in fifth and sixth gear. So I, I miss this thing. My wife's like, Hey, you forgot to sign here. You forgot to do this. Oh yeah. Not a problem. You want to sign. You're going to read it. Uh, yeah. I'll read it real quick. I have an attorney. I'll send it to them. No, no, just read it. It's only a few paragraphs. Okay. Sounds good. Um, that's kind of funny. So RFPs. So, so you started off. I mean, I, I'm trying to veil or RFPs. Hmm. Yeah, no doubt. Right. But yeah. I do, I mean, getting further in my career, entering the creative RFPs were great. Those are so much yeah. fun. But the tediousness of like CAD drawings and like that was, it was just not my bag, but you know, it was experience. And then how did you start off at Coral? So what, what did you, I mean, cause you've been there for what, almost four years now. I almost, it'll be five in March actually. Five so in March. Uh, from there I got long story, but I ended up in, in South Carolina and I ended up becoming a copywriter for an ad agency. So, and this is back in the day before social. So it was copywriting um, uh, magazine and television. Yeah and radio so super fun did that for about 10 years and we kind of transformed i'm not going to get into it but transformed into a word of mouth company and talked about word about movements and the true 
you know, mm. community. So did that kind of made a name for myself. I was lucky enough to do some thought leadership there. And then I went on to uh, big PR firms and uh, just kind of reinvented myself and started building digital teams inside Fletchman Hilliard, um, Edelman. And really when I got to Edelman, I'd been there about three or four years and I was like, okay, this is, this was my goal. I wanted to get to a big, well-known PR firm. Like, this is it. I'm going to spend the rest of my days here. I'm going to retire from this. And then I met uh, a woman who I used to work with at Brains on Fire, which was the creative agency at a Christmas party. And she's like, hey, I, I, I'm in tech. I think I got a job that I think you really like. And I was like, you know, no, you know what? I, I'm not, I don't want to get in tech. That sounds terrible. And then social media tech, that sounds just the worst. Like, no. Um, and she kept saying, no, you should come in and talk to the team, come in and talk to the team. And so I came in and talked to the team and I found out it was basically running an agency inside a, a software company. So I was like, ah, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'll take that job. And she said, no, 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 you have to apply for it now. You cannot <laughs> so, uh, you know, hands down, one of the best decisions that I've made, uh, we've just seen tremendous growth, but it's, it's really interesting to run an agency inside what we call like the warm blanket of a, of a software company. Yeah, that's interesting. So, and what attracted you about them? I mean, I understand that it's a you kind of like an agency inside of the software company, but like, what was the, what were some other things that they were doing that was unique that like kind of brought you there? I'm thinking about more like the like the unique value proposition. Like, what what was the thing you said? Okay, this makes sense. Um, I mean, even as you know, as long as five or not long, but even just five years ago, it was still kind of an emerging industry as far as having tools to help uh, brands when it comes to social. Not only listening but responding and you know that tech evolves so quickly in the apis with twitter and facebook and instagram and, and all of them it's just a, such a fast moving uh space that that's what attracted me to it because we would have to learn new things all the time but we have the inside track so when i was working at an edelman or a fleshman we've got relationships with facebook and twitter but on a hey you know we want to be your partner sort of thing with coros it's like we know the dudes and ladies that are making the programming changes. So like we're, we're influencing where social is going. We're having those conversations, which that for me is really interesting. And then layering in being able to do excellent work for our customers by using our own tools uh, makes it even better. Yeah. Cause you guys are kind of, you're pulling in the data and then being able to, to tailor it to whatever you need to look in regards to dashboards and things that are happening there. Absolutely. So what when we talk about, because I, I the the thing for me is this is the is the the community building, right? Is the fact that you'll be able to bring that all together. So why is it I mean, why is it so important for brands to 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 build this, to have these communities and build these communities? And especially when it comes to using the tool for for listening, why is that so important? Yeah, I, I think you know, the very word community, I think, is kind of where I is where you and I grew up. And I think even that word, you know, I, I always use the antidote whenever, when I worked at Fleischmann, what, there was a big tele uh, company that we worked for. And um, this was back in the day on Facebook where you couldn't comment on a brand's page unless you liked the page. And this particular uh, big uh, telephone company, no one, they're one of the biggest in the nation, you know them. Um, yeah. No, but no one likes them. We have to use them because, you know, they're ubiquitous and, you know, they've got a good network. So, we people would like the page to tell us how much they hated us so you know and they would get millions and millions of likes and so you know is that a community actually it is a community of people that hate you but yeah. you know it's kind of this and so i think even social coming along and people putting up a facebook page and then going we got a community like it's one of the things the idea of taking community back and taking this this idea of like what is true community what does that mean and really starting there and building like it 
you know, to me, it is a, it's a group of like-minded people that are there to share ideas, to look out for one another. They might not always agree, but they're all there for a reason. Um, so I think that's kind of where I start to think about how brands should use community because it really is. And there, there are other instances, obviously, to deflect um, calls from your call center so people can ask questions and answer each other's questions, that sort of thing. But I almost think, not I think, almost think, I know it's a necessity now. And not only for the big sexy brands, but like for the everyday brands as well. I love that. I love that back in the day, you had to like something to be able to, to send them a flame and tell them how much you hate them. You're like, God, this is terrible. I have to like them. And then they're like, look at how many likes we have. We're really doing a great job. Just don't read the comments. Yeah. But we do have millions of people that like us. So um, with Corals, how did you think like, I mean, how, is, how are you guys helping build community? Because I know that's a big thing for you guys. Once again, is, is the listening. And we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But how is the software actually helping build communities? So I think it's two different ways. So part of the software actually helps build communities on, on social. So it is very much listening to those communities out there. It might not be like a destination, but you know, uh, we, a big box retail brand is one of, uh, one of my customers. And it really is going out into the world, into the social sphere and finding people who love on them and love on them back. And so it's creating this, what we call brand love. And then yeah. the, another part of the software is actually creating a physical destination community. Um, and this is a place that any ranges from, um, again, someone's got a problem, they can go to this community first and look for the answer and it deflects from the, the cost from the call center. So those are kind of two ends of the spectrum at which why I was so excited when spread fast and lithium came together because mm -hmm. one had the social part and one had the pure destination community part as well. Yeah, I think it makes total sense. I think even brands today, I think have, have an issue with, you know, it's like if you got somebody saying something phenomenal about you and you don't know it and you're not responding, that's an issue, right? I mean, that's a huge issue and it's still an issue today. I know plenty of brands that, that don't respond on social, whether it's good or bad, right? And if it's bad, then you should. And if it's good, you should, right? I mean, you really need to be in that conversation. The problem is, is with social, things can just take off in a hot second, you know? And if you're not there to, to try to put the flame out or try to figure out what's going on, things can accelerate fast. And we've seen that with plenty of brands, you know, not we need to bring any of them up, but it's, you know, you see that it's like, oh, we were asleep at the wheel for a day and then I'll look what happened. So I think it's one of those, one of those crazy things, but what do you think, what's some of the most common mistakes that brands make when, when building an online community? Like, what do you think, like, you know, because obviously you've been doing this a long time. Like, what is your, you look at and say, these are, this is some of the common mistakes that I see brands are making when it comes to the communities. Well, I think one of them is, is what you just alluded to. And it's not only, not responding, but who do we respond to and in what order? So, you know, we've gone influencer crazy over the past uh, handful of years. And so people think, well, I need to respond to the influencers first. And in some cases that's true, but when you're, you know, when your brand's going through a crisis, you need to be able to listen to what's going on out there and then say, you know what, we're gonna stay away from this conversation because we know that's just gonna put uh, fuel on the flame, but we actually really need to address these things. And then take that data, go to, back to the PR team and go, hey guys and gals, like here in order, here's what we need to talk about. But here's also the audiences that we need to talk about as well. So I think right now, a lot of brands are just kind of, they're shotgunning and they're just going, oh, well, that person looks important. That person's got 5,000 followers, so I'll respond to them when they should actually be looking at the topics first that they should be responding to. And I think the other part of it is, is really, you know, overemphasizing certain channels. And I, I know we're probably going to talk about omni-channel, uh, but it's just, there are, you know, brother, like just a plethora of ways that you should be able to reach a brand. But most of them right now are, well, you come to our website, send us an email. If you can find that email or call us, if you can find that phone number on our website, good luck. 
uh, you know, or DM on Twitter, but man, you know, there's dozens of other ways that customers are expecting you to be available and brands need to be there. Yeah, more and more, right? I mean, there's more and more platforms and more and more ways. And it's like, if they're, you know, you have to, unfortunately, if somebody wants to respond through a different platform or a different DM or something, and you're not there, it's, you're, you're missing the opportunity. So I think that's, I think that's interesting because it's, once again, it's getting harder and harder, right? And I think that's the thing when you have a software that brings that all into one dashboard. Because I, you know, I've obviously written a review for you guys or about you guys. I mean, when I saw the software and I was like, hey, we, I need to talk. And when I got the demo, I was just thoroughly impressed with the way that it was put together. And it's like, because social listening is not easy, right? Well, I mean, it's impossible if you don't have software to do it, right? I mean, that's virtually impossible. Thanks, Spike. It's been a great conversation so far. It's time to wrap up this episode, but we'll continue the conversation soon. On the next episode, we're going to discuss word-of-mouth advertising and how businesses can leverage it. Stay tuned to the Marketing Growth Podcast to find out more.